Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today I'm going to talk about breastfeeding and something a little bit beyond breastfeeding, but I got to talk about it all because I'm going to talk with you today about breast implants. Let me tell you how I got interested in this is that I got a question from a listener, somebody who listens to the radio show, the podcast, and uh, she asked about plugged ducts as related to her uh, breast implants. And I kind of sat there and I thought, well, I know a fair amount about breast implants and a fair amount about plugged ducts. I don't know if there's anything really different about that, but before I advise her, I guess I want to do the deep dive into the real literature again and see if there's anything I'm missing. So in doing so, what I did was I came across some really cool stuff that I think that you'll be very interested in. So let me begin by saying that a quarter of a million women in the United States have breast surgery every year that is augmentation surgery. Augmentation meaning an enlargement of the breasts, which generally is an implant of uh, something that is going to enlarge the breast, okay? And we'll talk about what those things are in a minute. But a quarter of a million women every year is quite a lot. And by the way, that is up exponentially since uh, since about the mid-1990s or so. That means that all of you who are listening are either thinking about it or you've had it done or you know someone who's had it done who's asked you, how do I get more information about this? Or maybe you're taking care of someone who is trying to make more milk and they've got uh, breast implants or maybe it is they're asking you the question about the plugged ducts. Any of that is possible. So, I want to emphasize to you that this is not a subject that we can just kind of say, oh, well, you know, not to worry about it. Yeah, I guess we really got to talk about that. It is actually the number one most common type of cosmetic surgery here in the United States. And I don't know about elsewhere, but I would guess that it would be fairly high. Now, what's interesting is that most women get their breast augmentation when they are very young and that they really haven't considered their future in breastfeeding and lactation. You may find yourself in this book. You may say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I got it when I was 18 or 19 or 20, and I wasn't really thinking about having babies, much less was I thinking about breastfeeding. So that may be uh, what's on your mind. I don't know. I also want to make it really clear that you can breastfeed. You absolutely can. Uh, no question about it. But if you had it to do over again, or if you know someone who's thinking about it, or maybe if you just want to know what some of your current options are, hang with me, because I'm going to talk about this. It's really pretty interesting. So let's just say that you have 
not had breast surgery, but you're thinking about it. Number one that I would suggest you do is raise some questions. You should raise those questions on the internet with your friends, with your doctor, with your plastic surgeon, everybody else, because everybody has their own thing about what they want to tell you. The first question I would be raising would be, what do I have to pay? It is not cheap, not at all. We're talking in the thousands here. And the likelihood of insurance covering it is pretty slim to zero unless you have got some sort of a reconstructive surgery, all right? But if you're just doing this because you want to have larger breasts and it's a cosmetic thing, then I don't know of anybody's insurance who covers it. I suppose that's possible, but I think it's highly unlikely. So I would ask that question. The next question I would be asking is, why do I want to do this? Think carefully about this question. Is it because your friends have done it? Is it because everybody's doing it? Is it because you are truly unhappy with what your breasts look like, how your clothes fit, whatever? Is it because there are lots of advertisements out there these days that promise that you will be more self-confident? Mm, Self-confidence is a little bit bigger than just body image. Is it because you have something that is just really, really noticeable? For example, maybe you have one breast that is substantially larger than the other one. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But if you do, that might be a very different, it is a very different reason than if you just want both of them enlarged because you just wish that you were more well endowed, okay? Is it because you think you're going to please somebody if you do it? Then I want to caution you, just think for a minute about who you really need to please, which is probably yourself, okay? I want to talk about this business about small breasts, And the fact that there are different types of small breasts, because this is hugely important, whether you're making the decision to get the implants or whether you've already had them and you're trying to lactate. So small breasts are small, but they generally have normal contours. I'm not exactly sure how to explain that. I've probably seen a million breasts in my life, but I just know that some are small, but they are proportionate. They look rounded, contoured, whatever the word might be. If that's the case and you want breast implants, that's fine. But it is different than if you have underdeveloped breasts. And these are called hypoplastic. Why so? Because all of the tissue is not there. The tissue is underdeveloped in a way that is not normal. So these breasts, to me, if they are underdeveloped, do not look simply small. They look small, but they don't look right somehow. Um, They may have not very much tissue beneath the nipples or some other thing. It's really hard to explain, but if that's the case... 
the person that has the underdeveloped breasts probably is not going to be able to produce enough milk anyway. So if you find yourself in that situation, whether or not you have the implants is probably not going to affect, well, it certainly can affect your lactation, but you are already starting out at a disadvantage with lactation, and we could have another whole show on underdeveloped breasts. But anyway, uh, what that really comes down to is that you might not have enough functional glandular tissue in order to really be able to lactate. Now, the other piece that comes into this is that once the implant is positioned in your breast, especially if you have small breasts, the implant can become sort of um, more, there's more pressure on it. Let's put it that way. And that can impede your ability to make milk. And it can lead to some other things as well. We'll talk about those. So I just want you to think about, number one, why are you doing it? And number two, what have you got to work with in the first place? Because that can really affect what you're going to see later. And let me talk a little bit more about these underdeveloped breasts. I know when when I see one, or I would say I probably know most of them most of the time, but in general... The breasts, if they are underdeveloped, might be one of three things. They might be in a tube-like shape. So with normal breasts, they're more like, I don't know, I'm making a fist with my hand talking to you here. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of rounded. And a tubular breast is more long and narrow like a tube. And in that case, it may well be, I'm not saying it is, it may well be that you just don't have enough tissue underneath there. A second clue might be that you've got what is in the medical world known as asymmetrical breasts. That is, and I was just talking about it a minute ago, you've got one breast that is significantly larger than the other. So let's say that you take a C cup in your right breast, but you take an A cup in your left breast. That A cup left breast, that does not have enough glandular tissue in order to fully lactate. And the third one would be widely spaced breasts. And I've got kind of a maybe next to that. Let me tell you why. Uh, this is not always the case, and I don't want you to say, oh dear, this is widely spaced, so therefore I'm not going to have enough milk. I don't want you thinking that. But I do want you to say that if you've got these very widely spaced breasts, widely spaced nipples and areola, that might, underline might, be a situation where you might ask yourself if you have enough tissue in the first place. Okay? Now, this discussion becomes important because when we talk about making milk, Remember, it, if you don't make enough milk, you can't necessarily blame it on the implant. You might say, when I was born, through no fault of my own, I simply did not have enough glandular tissue. So that gives me a really good segue for going into what the heck is the tissue 
that we're concerned about here. Well, this is probably an oversimplification, but by and large, you're looking at three main things when you look at breast tissue. The lobes, the ducts, and the nerves. So, what about the lobes? Now, when I give my comprehensive lactation course to aspiring lactation consultants, I tell them the lobes are the milk-making factory. It's where the milk is made. And that the ducts are the transport system, okay? So if you're making a product in a factory, you put it on a train or something, and you move it to its next destination, that's the transport system. And then finally, I'm sure you know what nerves are. Nerves are how we get these physical sensations. So then, your question should be about the implants. What effect does the surgery have when you are putting those implants on? How does this affect the lobular tissue or the lobes, the ductular tissue, that is the ducts, and the nerves. Okay, well, there's a bunch of things to ask with that. And one of the things would start out with, does all of the surgery affect all of these tissues in the same way? No, okay? So you've really kind of got to get a grip on that. And give me a minute. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But before we go to break, I want to talk about uh, some general questions that you should raise because this does affect or could, could, could affect how these tissues are impacted. So question number one. How does the surgeon plan to make the incision? Nowadays, there are about four different types. And by the way, if you put this into Google, you can get plenty of images. So the first one is infrasubmammary. That is, it's underneath the breast, kind of like where your ribs are right there. The next one is axillary or sometimes called transaxillary. And that is in your underarm. Okay periareolar, and that means that they cut a little circle around the areola, the edge of the brown part of your breast. And then there are two new ones. And the first one is the transumbilical, and that's sometimes called tuba, transumbilical breast augmentation, tuba. And I can tell you a little bit more about that later if we have time. And then finally, there's transabdominal. When we look at the literature as related to the uh, effectiveness of lactation after these surgeries, as far as I know, we don't have anything related to lactation success after transumbilical and transabdominal, although some of it is intuitive and some of it yet to be discovered. I would say that the most amount that I have read as related to lactation is the infrasubmammary and the periareolar. So I, I want to talk more about those later, but right now 
I want to say that we want to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where the implant is positioned and how that will make any difference and what that really means. Meanwhile, I want to alert you. Have you seen it yet? I've got a brand new website. It is mariebiancuzo.com. That is mariebiancuzo, M-A-R-I-E, biancuzo.com. Join me there. I've got some real cool stuff. It's been up for a little bit, but if you haven't seen there, go there. Talk to you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. 
Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, and I'm here to talk with you today about breast implants, breast augmentation, how it relates to breastfeeding. All right, so I just talked to you about those six different types of incisions. And the ones that you really want to, like, listen up about is the infrasubbammary and the periareolar. I will tell you that for as many years as I have been a nurse and for as many years as I've been in breastfeeding, we've always said that it you're less likely to be able to have successful breastfeeding and lactation with the periareolar uh, incision. Now, I just want to tell you that is, as of last month or so, there was a brand new article that just came out and it said, nope, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Now, of course, they did not give a good explanation for that. But one of the things that I would wonder about is, is it possible that surgeons are nowadays just being more careful in how they perform the technique? I don't know. But if I had not gotten my implant done yet, I would be asking the surgeon, which one is he going to use? If he said infrasubmammary, I would probably be reassured about lactation. If he said the periareolar, I would probably say, hmm, new study says it doesn't make any difference. I'm probably okay with this, but maybe I need to ask some more questions. Okay, so how the incision is made also affects where they can put the implant. So Basically, it is above the muscle, the chest muscle, or below the chest muscle, all right? And I would say to you that there's a whole bunch of things that you need to consider here. I would strongly suggest that you look at a photo of that. It's actually a drawing. There are many on the internet. One that I thought was really good, really clear, was at mayoclinic.org. And it just showed where the implant was put between the uh, chest muscle uh, above or below. And so you kind of need to get clear about that. And it is also related to the size. Uh, The size of the implant related to the size of your breasts, in other words, may affect where they're going to put the the implant itself. So I am not saying that you should tell the surgeon how to do his work, okay? But I am saying this is a question that you really kind of need to raise because it it's not it's just not straightforward, I guess maybe that's the question. Um, you've really got to get a little bit of clarity about that. Um when the implant is is placed, it can affect the pressure that it was in that is in the breast. So, uh, if the implant is between the glandular tissue and the muscle layer, it's more likely to put pressure on the ducts and the glands, and therefore, it can interfere with the milk flow and reduce the milk production. But when the implant is placed beneath the muscle layer, it seems to have less milk uh, impact on milk production. Do we have good research on this? No, we don't. I'm just kind of 
throwing that out there. So would it be a deal breaker or a deal maker? Probably not. But you really need to get a better understanding of this, as well as it's not just about milk production. There are a lot of other pros and cons to where the implant is placed and what kind of complications that could uh, get you. Uh, I don't really know a whole lot about the non-lactation stuff, but I did find a good website, and it is dbreath.com slash blog slash best breast implant placement over versus under the muscle. If you Google that, I think you'll find it. All righty. So then, the next question you might want to be raising, and you certainly should be raising, is what is the implant made of? There are really only two different materials that the implants are made out of. It's either silicone or saline. So let me get you straight on the silicone first. And the first thing you need to be clear about is that silicone is not silicon, okay? Silicon is an element that's in the earth. It's like sand. And as far as I know, it doesn't have anything to do with breast implants, okay? Breast implants can be made of silicone. Now, silicone is technically part of the rubber family, but... If you have a fairly wide definition for plastic, then you could consider plastic, uh, you could consider the silicone some kind of plastic. And by the way, there is a very interesting website. Here it is. It's lifewithoutplastic.com. And it gives you a bit about the silicone. And it, in their mind, it really is a plastic. So then, oh, man, this is like just so... There is so much information around this that I can't really begin to cover it today. But it's an important topic, and I want you to be able to at least get some of the information, and then I want you to scout it out for yourself before you go too much further. Whether you are in the decision-making phase or whether you are already breastfeeding and lactating, you need to know about silicone because I have always been taught that it is an inert substance. That is, inert meaning that it is chemically inactive. That's kind of a fancy word for chemically inactive. All right? But other people would say, no, it is only partially inert. So does that make a difference? Mm, Don't know. Why should I feel reassured? Well, all of us are exposed to silicone every day. I'm thinking, for instance, in industry, uh, uh, the silicone is used for insulation sealants. In the medical field, it's all over the place. I'm thinking of plastic tubing. If you've ever had an IV or any of that stuff, it's pretty highly likely that there was some silicone in it. Silicone is even found in certain medications, and I'm thinking about something like a very common product, you've probably taken it, uh, Digel, okay? So we have ingested that, no doubt about it. Household items, cookware, I'm thinking also about kitchen utensils. 
before I did the show, I meant to go in my own drawer and see what I've got for kitchen utensils, but I'm pretty sure they're made out of some kind of silicone. Haven't you ever, I've got these, uh, uh, you go to flip your pancakes or whatever, and you want to buy the flipper that is safe up to 400 degrees or some such thing. Okay, well, that would be another example. Here is a very common example of where we find silicone, and that is nipples, bottles, and toys that kids play with. So if you're going to get freaking out about the silicone, you better get freaked out with all of the places that you might have exposure or that your baby might have exposure. Or if you just want to say, no, I don't really have to worry about that too much, then okay, so be it. But I do want to tell you this. Probably, oh, I don't even remember, but probably in the 1990s or so, there was this big hoopla. Some researcher, or maybe it was, actually I think it was more than one researcher, insisted that if the mothers had the implants and if they had the implants made out of silicone, that if it leached into the milk, that their babies had esophageal disorders. That is a disorder of the esophagus or the food pipe. Well, no, 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 and no. As a matter of fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out at some point, and I don't remember when that was, and they said, no, not true, bogus. And actually, if I recall correctly, the researcher himself did I either did another study or he retracted his uh, results of that study, something along those lines. But anyway, I don't want you to get nuts about if you've got the silicone or if you're planning to get the silicone. I'm trying to tell you this. It does not cause esophageal anomalies. So if you hear that or read that, somebody's 20 years out of date, forget it. If you are going to worry about it, then you better worry about it if you're ever going to give your kid a nipple or a bottle or toys or take Digel or anything else, all right? And then I'm, I guess I'm also telling you there are gobs of things on the internet that talk about the effects, the toxic effects, if you will, of silicone. I really, my chemistry background is just not good enough. I just don't know if you should be worried or not. So I'm not going to give you a piece of advice on that. My piece of advice would be, if that bothers you, you better scope it out more than I can give you. And you better check out the alternative, which would be a saline implant. So what's saline? Saline is really just water and salt. Uh, Or there might be something else in there. I don't know. But it's pretty much just water and salt. So you're going around with the salt water Uh, that's in your body. And remember, what is our body made up of? Well, we certainly have, I don't know, 90-something percent of our body is made up of water, and we certainly have plenty of sodium chloride. So that is a less foreign material, I guess is what I'm saying. So I would ask that question. If I were uh, getting my implant, I would ask that question, are you going to do it with the saline or with the... um, the the silicone. All right. I would also ask this question. What other oddball things might happen to my breasts if I 
was that, that are unrelated to breastfeeding and lactation. All right, for example, there are some stories out there uh, that I know of women who have had what they call a galactoseal, and that's just a little milk-filled cyst, even if they've never lactated. You can have sensitivity, you can have scar tissue, but of course the scar tissue actually could affect breastfeeding. So I would be asking that. I would also ask the physician if he would give me what he has heard to be common misconceptions. Uh, There are a bunch of them out there. I'm going to give you just a few because I think that they're so common. One is, will the implants make your breast sag? No. Uh, could they get, you know, displaced? Yeah, but no, it won't make your breast sag. No, you do not need to have your implants replaced every 10 years uh, at the 10-year mark. Uh, <laughs> there are many people that believe this, but these are not 10-year smoke alarms, okay? You might have to have them replaced at 10 years or before 10 years or after 10 years, I do want to tell you that they don't last forever. And 10 years is probably not too far off the mark, at least in some cases. This becomes more important if you're really young. How many times are you going to need to get those implants replaced? Because if you're 18 and you're thinking you're going to keep them until you're 88, I'm thinking that that's not very likely. All right. So really think about the long term. And by the way, remember, this is expense, 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 expense. Uh, Here's another one that I've heard quite frequently. People think that they can just be any size that they want to be. Well, that's not true. Actually, the size that you start out with, your surgeon is going to tell you about how far you can go here. I would say, however that it appears that there are higher complication rates, uh, especially the implant can get malpositioned, like out to the side or below the fold underneath the breast, and that would be pretty awkward, okay? Or you can have excessive thinning of the tissues and have some, you know, like rippling or waving. I I would be asking about that. Uh, So those are just a few that come to my mind. So that I really want to get to pregnancy and lactation, And I've only got a few minutes to talk about that. Then we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit more. But these are the questions that I would be asking if I were pregnant or lactating or wishing I could be pregnant or lactating. Number one, how does the surgery impact my ability to lactate or my breastfeeding experience in general? Number two, how might the implant affect future pregnancy and or the fetus, if at all. And by the way, this also is kind of controversial. How might the impact, the implant affect the breastfeeding baby? And that's your whole toxicity thing. And number four, how much of a risk am I willing to take? Why do I say that? Because it really goes back to why are you having this done? Or why do you want to have this done? It is almost any of this stuff. I don't care what it is in medical science. It's almost always a risk benefit decision. So, for example, 
if you have your heart set on exclusive breastfeeding, I'm going to tell you there is really good evidence that you will not be doing exclusive breastfeeding. You might be doing some breastfeeding, but that's important to you. You got to know that that's probably not a possibility. And those are probably the four biggest questions that you need to raise. I'm going to be talking to you a little bit more on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hey, everybody. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I just want to tell you that I will be giving you a blog and some links if you go to my blog. And that would be where? That would be MarieBiancuzo.com. M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. All right. So I want to back up a little bit because remember in the beginning, I talked about how the the breast tissue can be damaged. So one of the things that you want to ask yourself is, okay, great. Like, what does that really mean? Does it uh, get any better? What can we do? Good question. All right. So we said that the tissue that can be affected are the lobes, the ducts, and the nerves. So what happens? Well, basically... Sometimes things remain intact and you're good to go. But I would say don't count on that. Some tissue can be damaged. The glandular tissue itself, however, is under the influence of the pregnancy and the breastfeeding hormones. What does that mean? That means that even though you might not have had as much of a milk supply with your last baby as you might have liked, you might have more with the coming baby because you've got more of those hormones floating around. All right. What about if the ducts were damaged? Uh, One of two things can happen there. Sometimes you will have some ducts that will be damaged, and they are irreparable, and that's the end of the story. However, you can also have ducts that become reconnected. And the fancy term for that is called recannulation. That is, the ducts kind of knit back together, all right? So in that case, it's possible for these ducts to knit back together. It's possible to be making milk, and you can be functioning pretty well with your milk supply, although probably not exclusively. Now, also remember, too, that it's not as though every tissue in your body or at least every tissue in your breast is damaged. That's that's just not going to be the case. And so you are also going to have some functioning tissue that fully functions, and that's going to compensate for some of those damaged areas, some, many of those damaged areas, maybe not all. So what about, so that's the lobes and the ducts. What about the nerves? Well, Uh, damaged nerves can also repair themselves. Isn't the human body amazing? Say yes. And that's called re-innervation. So if you have good sensation, that is a sign that you've got good nerve innervation. And if you don't have such good sensation, that's a sign that your nerves are not functioning or not present or something. So, I know that I kind of said this before, but there's research study after study after study after study that shows exclusive breastfeeding is not very likely. So just saying, there's nothing wrong with supplementing in this situation, certainly. But if you don't want to do it, then you got to think this through. All right, so I want to go to my listener's question, the one that asked the question about the plugged duct. And I want to back up a minute because engorgement, plugged duct, and mastitis all kind of go together. 
All right. So if the breast and breasts that have had breast implants are more likely to be engorged. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. You might even consider it painful, but you might be able to get away with just more feeding of the baby. If not, you can do some hand expressions, some hand massage, some warmth, any of that, and you could be good. You can even try some cabbage. Uh, does cabbage work? I think it does, but some people think it doesn't. But I will tell you that pretty much, other than the fact that you're going to smell like a salad, it's it's probably worth a try, okay? I know that there are some... Oh, this like gets into this whole thing with contamination and such. I, I can't find good documentation to back that up, but that's a, that's a show for another day. All right, so plug duct. Um, yeah, if you've got milk that is not draining well, and that would be likely because those ducts, remember the transport system? That would be, it's likely that, that a plugged duct, it's kind of a setup for a plugged duct. So what would you do for any other plugged duct? And as far as I can tell, there's no special treatment just because you have had the breast implant. It's stuff like feed the baby, do hand expression, do hand massage. I would also up the ante a little bit with that, which is soak your breasts in some warm water, just warm like bath water. Although I probably wouldn't bother to take the bath, I would put it in a clean, oh, like a big salad bowl or big pasta bowl or something that's clean out of the dishwasher. You could use warm compresses. You could get in the warm shower. Uh, any of that will help to loosen up the plugged duct. Uh, some people will say, sprinkle some lecithin on your cereal. Sure, I'm good for that. I'm trying to think what else now I've seen or heard or recommended. But honestly, sometimes if you've just got a really vigorously sucking baby, sometimes the baby will just suck it right out. Now, if you don't fix your plugged duct, you are in a situation where it's a setup for mastitis, and I would really hate to see that happen. Okay, so, yeah, that all of that is fixable. I do want to talk, though, about increasing milk supply because, again, Studies really do show that the likelihood of being able to uh, breastfeed exclusively, eh, not so much so. So what are you going to do to fix that? Number one, frequency, 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 frequency. I will tell you that 99% of the cases that are out there today with women saying that they don't have enough milk, I am going to guess that they are either not getting enough, they're, they're not emptying the breast frequently enough, or they've got the baby or the pump on the breast and they're doing something, but it is not actually emptying, okay? So frequency is hugely important. And along with that, similarly but a little different, is stimulation, stimulation, stimulation. So let's say that your baby is suckling, but he doesn't suckle very well. All right, then you better get the pump out as well. You could also do stuff like simultaneous pumping where you get, all right, I'm sort of doing this with my hands here. Uh, you put the baby on this side and then you have one of those little hand pumps. I like those little trigger pumps. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Amita has one that is is very good. 
you just kind of squeeze it. You can do more stimulation with the baby on one side, the pump on the other side. The third big thing is skin-to-skin, skin-to-skin, and more skin-to-skin contact. I will tell you that when you are in skin-to-skin contact with that baby, you will be putting out the right hormones in order to make more milk. Now, what about galactagogues? Um, I'm not real keen on galactagogues, but I think that where I go a little bit nuts is when people try galactagogues before they have tried all of the things that they should be trying first. And that would be good positioning, good latch, good emptying, good stimulation, frequent stimulation, frequent emptying, uh, skin-to-skin contact, all of that. Then if you want to go for uh, the Galactagogues, I will tell you that in Diana West's excellent book, uh, she suggests goat's roux. And by the way, if you go back to, I want to say it was 2013 or maybe even early 2014, Diana West was a guest on this show. And in her book, and the name of the book is, uh, I think it's Creating Your Own Success. And she talks about not only augmentation, but reduction surgery. And she gives illustrations for all these things that I'm talking about today. So you may want to take a look at that. But those are my first and my best recommendations to you if you've got to increase your milk supply, which you probably do. All right. So now the moment that everybody's been waiting for, what about safety? Oh, brother. This is like just so gigantic. I don't even know where to start. So I started with a really good article by Zuckerman and colleagues. I also want to tell you that there are literally thousands of research studies that have been done about implants. Most of them do not pertain to lactation. Many of them that say, and therefore the woman was successful breastfeeding, eh, not so much so. That just means that some doctors saw the baby on the breast, the baby was suckling, and the milk came out. That doesn't necessarily mean that she was producing a full supply or that the baby was able to thrive solely on her milk because that's pretty unlikely. So, oh, by the way, you know, another thing you can use is a nursing supplement, or I forgot to mention that too. All right, so Zuckerman lists all sorts of questions about safety. And in the few minutes left that we have, I'm going to suggest what I thought were her big points. She talks about capsular contraction. And she says that, or or somebody says, I'm not sure who says this, that capsular contraction describes an abnormal scar formation. It's it's around the implant. And usually uh, women will talk about pain and hardening in the breast. And that condition is usually progressive. And it will distort the breast and displacement of the implant. That is not a good thing. And, and by the way, all of this should make you wonder, what does it cost to have them redone? Uh, there are other things that are similar but different. These are the most common ones. Hematoma formation, that is little blood blobs. Infection, pain, just like with any other surgery. Here's a good one that you need to be aware of, which is risk of rupturing or leaking. Yeah, it does happen. And by the way, there's a whole bunch of information about implants as related to having a mammogram, the 
truthfulness, I guess you would say, of what the mammogram will show. And also there's some research that is even showing that when you have a mammogram, there's pressure that gets on the implant. And so the procedure itself can break or damage or displace the implants. Now, therefore, if you have this, you might want to be asking for an MRI. But just remember, that's going to cost upwards of $2,000 here in the U.S., and it's generally not covered by insurance, the MRI, that is. All right, risks, she also says, risks related to removal of the implants, negative effects on breastfeeding and lactation. I've just talked to you about some of those. Uh, Need for subsequent surgery. And I want to read an exact quote here. She says that the it's the aging. No, I'm not going to read the exact quote. Uh, I just put aging in, in quotes here. And so that really raises some serious questions about, you know, if you're a teenager. Inadequate informational material for women. Oh, man, she really went into it in that article. And she specifically looked at information that was in the U.K., And she basically said women are not, you know, what they're told is, oh, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. Well, it's safe, period, is, it's a little bit bigger than just that. Uh, She also talks about the fact that there is uh, a lot of hype about the benefits of the implants, but in her mind, at least, not a lot about the risks, Now, this is a big one, and we totally, like, I did not even want to go there in this show. But she mentions about if you've got an autoimmune disease, should you even be having the implants in the first place? We don't really know how this works, okay? We don't really know. And she also talks about financial risks, what it's going to take, and uh, it's not cheap putting out some milk here or putting out some money. Well, I guess you better be worried about putting out some milk too. All righty. There are, uh, and then finally, informed consent. And she basically said informed consent is not nearly as informed as it should be. So there you are. On my website, I promise that I will give you some of the resources that I've come across. There are ones from the FDA and all other places, but A couple that I think are really useful, get this, breastimplantsinfo.org, and I think that's Zuckerman's site. Here is one that addresses um, after you've actually had the implants removed, which, by the way, is another whole risk factor, and that is www.explantation.com, and there you will see where patients talk about their experience with the implant removals, and finally, not finally, because there's like a big list, uh, but another one that I think is important is inthenow.org, where actresses talked about their experience with implants. So bottom line is here, you can do whatever you want to do. You can breastfeed whoever you want to breastfeed. You can do your own life, but I really want you to be able to ask a lot of questions before you do any of this. I want you to get the right information, and I want you to think about what is going to work for you because at the end of the day, you're the one it has to work for. Hey, everybody, uh, time goes way too fast. 
I'm Marie Biancuzzo. You will find me at mariebiancuzzo.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And don't forget, I will see you next week and every week here out because guess what? Your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.